So these people really struggled with it and, and uh, of how to express it. And, and then I'm trying to explain things. First, I'm trying to understand things and then explain them according to these kind of tortured <laughs> illustrations. Hmm. So it's, it's a challenge. It's like they can only explain it by analogy. It's kind yeah. of like when John's writing Revelation, he keeps saying, "It, I saw as, as something. Yeah. Or like something. Yeah, they were like, uh, they were locusts, but they, yeah. like they had yeah. of horses and that kind of thing. So, the yeah. color was like emerald or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, a challenge. And there's also, you know, some concepts that are very foreign to typical American evangelicalism, uh, you know, in our Puritan background. Mm hmm tends to be very, very practical and very rational. Of course, we're, uh, you know, uh, completely dominated by the age of reason. So, it's, I mean, it's, it's difficult just to get people to embrace mystery and, uh, and also to kind of change the, their paradigm of what they've always, how they've always looked at things to, to look at them slightly differently. So you just alluded to these different um, authors trying so hard to explain it. Mm. What What is the it? Uh, their ecstatic uh, experience with Christ. Ecstatic meaning like, yeah, man. <laughs> like that <laughs> exactly. kind of ecstatic? Okay. Yeah. Well, again, uh, as I understand it, it's like uh, just a little foretaste of what uh, life will be, okay. eternal life will be in the okay. presence of Almighty God. Hmm. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is our fourth episode, and that's our first one with a guest. We had with us Craig Davis. He is an artist, really, and more genres that we even got to today, and he's one of the elders at our small local church. Now, he's been working on a project with uncovering the more uh, mystical side of the Christian tradition, so we talk up a good bit about that in this episode, and we talk about worship in general, music ministry. Um, we had a great time. He was a joy to be with, and uh, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Well, first of all, the the starting point is, you know, God prepares each of us in a particular way uh, to uh, to relationship with him and to relationship with creation. So, I mean, so there was this question of Connor has one approach, Macklin has another approach. Uh, and what came to my mind was the phylactery uh, in uh, uh, the ancient Jews had this little box uh, that they would wear either on their foreheads or their right hands, and it was the phylactery, and there was a little bit of scripture within that box. Uh, so, and then, of course, in Revelation we read that the sign of uh, uh, the Antichrist is either on your forehead or your right hand. So this is an important thing. Hmm. And I, I have taken it to mean that it is uh, the Word of God is always on your mind, and it is always at your right hand. So that's kind of Connor, it's always on his mind. Macklin, it's always at his right hand. And that's kind of uh, a comparative way of uh, 
talking about spirituality within the world. Hmm. Between the two of us, we make a whole person. I know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is more than most people can say. Well, I don't have a choice. I mean, I I live on a farm. Ain't nothing to do but work with your hands, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> even if I was mind minded, then I wouldn't it would be a bad setup because then, you know, I'd be thinking all about the trees growing up on the fence row, but I would never get around to cut them down. So <laughs> Well, I like the I like the symbolism of 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 having both. That's really nice yeah. to to have both emphasized. That seems like the right way to go. Hard to do in practice, but yeah. Well, and they're you know one is not superior to the other. Right, right. Well, it also makes me think about the uh, the Desert Fathers, um, and how they balanced work and prayer. And this rhythm back and forth of both. They work with their yeah. hands and also pray. And it was a constant cycle. Yeah, and that's reflected in the monastic life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they have appointed times for the active life and appointed times for the contemplative life. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a perfect segue, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wow, now that you mention it, it sure is. <laughs> Brother Lawrence talked about... <laughs> how even washing the pots and pans could be an act of worship. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us about this this mysticism project of yours. Well, uh, we're just at Christ Community Church, we um, have put together a uh, seven-part series of retreats, uh, so-called. I mean, they're like little six-hour workshop, workshops, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at different uh, mystical writings, um, that have all come out of either the, the Catholic or the Orthodox traditions. Um, actually, it was Macklin's father who first kind of turned me on to the mystics. Uh, I didn't have much understanding about Christian mysticism uh, until I asked him about it. <laughs> and um, it is, it just, this was, of course, many years ago, and uh, uh, it just, seemed to me like so much of evangelical life is, Lord, just get me through this day, you know. And there's just so much more to relationship with Christ than that. And it really comes out in these mystical writings. And, and admittedly, they are monastics who do this and uh, are able to prepare themselves for these kind of experiences on a regular basis. And that's it's just not going to be um, uh, possible for 21st century American evangelicals to do that. But at least we can understand that it's out there. And uh, so I just wanted to pursue this. Um, the, uh, there's more than seven different books, but uh, these are the ones that I was most familiar with. And I started out with Brother Lawrence. Uh, practice of the presence of God, because I, I thought that was the most simple one. He was just a layman who uh, lived in a monastery because he was wounded as a soldier, and re- there was really not much else he could do, uh, no family. So, And the first several decades there, he would wash pots and pans, which he hated, uh, and then late in his career, he was moved over to uh, fixing shoes. Uh, so 
but his his approach was that he found that uh, if he focused on God while he was doing this menial labor, he uh, it became a uh, a mystical experience uh, with Christ. You know, right there uh, as he was doing just his job, and then you go up up I. I uh, called this the the mystical ladder, and I stole uh, John Climacus's uh, icon of the uh, ladder of divine ascent. That's uh, one of the books for the pat- that you're leading through. Yeah, for the poster, and that was that's like the middle book that we just did. So we're climbing up, and uh, you know, getting closer to the more difficult ones. Um, Where are we at in the ladder? Uh, we're in the middle. Okay. Of course, it's not really the ladder that he he talked about, but on my ladder, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're in the middle. We're on the middle rung. <laughs> it's a short ladder. But, so you're uh, just thinking from from easier, more accessible to the more difficult ones at the right. top. That's the idea, right? And we'll be finishing up. We do these every six months, roughly, and we'll be finishing up with uh, Dark Night of the Soul, which is the most difficult thing I've ever read. <laughs> Now, you've read it too, haven't you, Connor? I've read part of it. I haven't read the whole one. Yeah. A lot of it's in poetry form, so it's a, almost a different genre than the other ones. Mm, okay. Um, I've been to, I think, all of the ones that you've, been, that you've done so far. I don't think I've missed any. Um, and so. all of them except for, I'm trying to remember all the different titles. Um, I had read at least one of them before your retreats, but most of them have been unfamiliar. So mm-hmm. it's been mostly new material. Um, the one that I had read before was um, the one called The Sacrament of the Present Moment. Right. That one um, I encountered in high school. Um, and at the time, it was, I think, the most profound thing I had yeah. ever read, uh, aside from, I guess, the Bible itself. Um, and it just completely changed my life. Yeah, it had that effect on me, too. And I used to buy them uh, from Amazon, like, six at a time, so I could give them away <laughs> to people. Um, and yeah, it was just this, this matter of, uh, God working out his will moment by moment and, you know, accepting that and, and not demanding some kind of, uh, uh, result, you know, seeing the result right now, uh, which is so much part of our culture, uh, was really, um, uh, profound to me. Well, the thing... The thing for me was in high school, I had a lot of pressure, I guess self-imposed, I don't know, but there was a lot of pressure to feel like I had to know what God's plan was for me, for the, like the 10-year plan, five-year plan. Yeah. I had to know what I was going to study in college, all of this stuff, and I had no idea, and, uh, and I was stressed out about it. I went on a mission trip uh, to Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and while I was there, I had one day where I got really sick, so I had to stay behind while everyone else went to do all the stuff that we said we were going there to do in the first place. So, you know, I felt like I was really missing out, but it ended up being the most important day because uh, the the leader of the team sat down with me when he came back, and we got talking about uh, just what life is like back in the States, so different from Ethiopia. And uh, and I, I told him about how, you know, I was just stressed out about how I didn't know what God's will for my life was. And he said, well, I'll tell you. So, uh, okay. <laughs> He said, God's will for your life is that you be holy. Oh. And that was it. 
and I just felt the weight come off my shoulders just like that. And, and, uh, and I had been reading that book and it was saying the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. There's a little library in this uh, guest house that we were at. And I found out later that you were the one who had put that book there, (laughs) which is pretty cool. (laughs) So yeah, responsible for that. Yeah. So how about that? So I found this book, uh, from you Mm -hmm. on the other side of the world. And now here we are (laughs) talking about it. Yeah, well, uh, that one was written by Jean-Pierre de Cassade, who was, as you might guess from his name, a French uh, priest. And he was in charge of a group of uh, nuns. Uh, And the book is mostly um, letters and uh, like little homilies that he wrote for those nuns. So it went, it started in France and found its way to Ethiopia. It's America a small world, between. isn't it? It's a small world, but I would hate to paint it. <laughs> that would be a hard job. Yeah, that was I just that was Stephen Wright. <laughs> that that's a Stephen Wright joke. Look him up on YouTube. Who's Stephen Wright? Look him up on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> so what are the other books? Um, well, the ones that we've gone through, we started with Practice, practice of the Presence of God. Uh and That's Brother Lawrence. That was Brother Lawrence. And then uh, Imitation of Christ, which mm-hmm. is probably the one that's most familiar mm-hmm. to people. And then Sacrament of the Present Moment. We just finished um, uh, Ladder of Divine Ascent by John St. John of the Ladder. Uh, the next will be Interior Castle by Teresa of Avila which I'm finding out is a much more experiential book. It's, uh, most of these books have a kind of a devotional aspect to them, but this one is highly devotional. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be interesting going through it. And then after that, we'll do uh, The Cloud of Unknowing, which uh, the author is unknown, and uh, then uh, Dark Seems Night kind of the of Soul. Fitting. Yeah, actually, uh, a lot of these books were uh, were meant to be anonymous. That was typical okay. of uh, the monastic way of doing things. Uh, and nobody's really sure who did Imitation of Christ, although most people do uh, think it was Thomas Akempis. I didn't know that. I've, every book, every copy I've ever seen always has his name on it, so I just yeah. assumed that that was a given. Well, I, I think it's pretty much settled in, in people's minds, but it was initially it was anonymous. Hmm. Um, and then we'll finish up with uh, St. John of the Cross. Well, I don't know if it's just because this was so profound for me or if there really is a theme that runs through all of them, but of the ones that we've gone through, I've seen consistently the theme of just uh, meeting Christ in the moment, by moment, whatever the moment might be. And yeah. it looks differently depending on who you are, where you are, but the point is to follow Christ. Uh, yeah. And it's the, it's the being present with him at all times kind of, kind of thing, uh, which is what Brother Lawrence started talking about and then what I discovered and uh, was so impacted by in Sacrament of the Present Moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, Christian history has uh, testified that these experiences are real. And what they are are kind of little foretastes of what life in the new heaven and new earth are going to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a 
gift of grace. You know, it is it is utterly up to God's timing when these things happen. And uh, like I said before, the uh, monastics are able to pursue this as a lifestyle, and they call it the contemplative life. Um, so they were kind of always, or at least daily, in the position where they could receive these experiences. Uh, modern evangelicals, not so much. Yeah. But there are times when we can prepare for it, and then if God wants to do something, then he will, or not. More likely not. <laughs> but these experiences are out there, and uh, they are worth pursuing. What kind of experiences are we talking about? Well, uh, the Orthodox have uh, a thing they call the prayer of simple gaze. And that is simply being in prayer, uh, and at some point you realize it's not you praying. And the Orthodox say this is actually Christ praying through you or putting his prayers in you. And, of course, it's scriptural. When we say, uh, when uh, Paul says that uh, the uh, uh, Spirit prays for us when we don't know how to pray, but this is just kind of a conscious understanding of that that happening in that moment. That's just one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's 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 a variety of things which I would kind of hesitate to try to list because I'm probably going to get them wrong. <laughs> but that's at least one thing that I can I can say for sure. Well, it seems like, at least from the ones I've read, it seems like they are very open to those kind of experiences, but they're also quite open to just finding God in the mundane, too. It seems like there's an openness either way. Right. Yeah. um, I mean, that was certainly, I would say that was certainly the case with uh, Brother Lawrence. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, Brother Lawrence also... uh, seem to uh, have a resistance, at least in his writings, a resistance to organized disciplines. Uh, And I think his bottom line may have been that you just don't need uh, these appointed times of prayer and appointed times of confession and appointed times of meditation. You can do that anytime, and God will honor that. And... uh, uh, Part of his, the end of his writing seems to just boils down to faith, you know, which is, that's a pretty big statement coming out of a medieval Catholic layman, you know, Mm -hmm. that your relationship with Christ boils down to faith. So, and that's something, obviously, evangelicals all over the world would be happy to uh, embrace. Mm -hmm. So let's embrace it, you know. Uh, but it's more than just, uh, you know, my sins are forgiven. Now I gotta try to go out and get that new job. You know, it's it's what he wants from us is relationship, and not not something that's spotty, but something that we continually pursue. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think um, my 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 thoughts are not nearly on on any of the any of that level, but. <clears throat> from, you know, from middle school and high school, attending pretty much a church camp every year, and that was sort of like what I thought. That's how I understood Christianity to be: was like 
<clears throat> emotional music that had been then an emotional pastor then more emotional music and it was the whole idea was to get you to feel something that felt like the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, and they had sort of fabricated this out of strings and sound boxes and things like that and uh, so I for a long time thought thought that that's what I thought that dramatic and emotional meant like you were a good Christian is whenever you felt emotionally attached to the Lord and things like that and uh, <clears throat> I'm sort of in this period right now where none of that I have I don't have any of that ever uh, and the question has been what does that mean and I think I think it's more along the lines of okay you have a day okay you have 12 hours that you're awake what are you gonna do with that 12 hours are you gonna try and bring glory to the Lord or are you going to uh, you know just and and like granted these this is not conscious every day you know it's like it's for me it's like I have these experiences of uh, okay I gotta wash the dishes now or I gotta go to work now and it's not like okay I gotta clean these dishes for the Lord or it's not like I gotta go to work for the Lord it's just like when I get to work it's like okay I'm gonna try and do a good job at work today or I'm gonna try and clean the kitchen really well today and uh, and then I and with no emotional attachment to how am I bringing glory to the Lord and I think for me uh, that's sort of what that's that's the majority of a Christian's life is living that out um, and not even and for me at least and maybe maybe this is incorrect but for me it's not even a conscious the Lord's not even a conscious part of that so I don't know mm-hmm. well <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure you know how to respond to that on a podcast um, I would say though uh, that um, I think I think what you were saying about your kind of an emotional understanding of Christianity is a hill that we all have to climb. Um, there are some parts of Christianity that are all about the emotional um, aspect of it, and there are parts of uh, let me go ahead and say Protestantism. I probably should have said Protestant Protestantism the first time that think that the emotional response is completely wrong, you know, and you have to have to avoid it. You know, both are wrong. <laughs> you know, there's a balance here. God made us as emotional creatures, and there's room for that, and everybody likes that, you know, warm and fuzzy feeling uh, that you get sometimes, but you can't, you know, rely on that. And the people who uh, do rely on that, uh, tend to crash and burn at times mm-hmm. uh, because it's not always going to be there. And uh, but this is the perseverance of the faith, you know, when it's not uh, reliant on uh, some kind of uh, mountaintop experience all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're going through Job on on Wednesday nights now, and we're about to see. Uh, total destruction of a man and all he does all he can do at the end of it is worship so i mean obviously he was not feeling warm and fuzzy at that (laughs) point uh so uh now if you're listening to this podcast uh after march of 2019 the study's over 
So <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> but we're going through it right now. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is something that's huge for me to 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 get my heart around as the music guy of a small local church. Mm-hmm. The idea that worshiping even with music is not only about emotion. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. That's such a huge thing to have to remind myself week after week. You know, if I focus just on how it sounds or about delivering, you know, the perfect performance or making it sound uh, like like it's been crafted in a sound studio, first of all, that's impossible to attain in our setting because we're an acoustic Acoustic, almost acoustic only mm-hmm. uh, uh, music setting, but also it would just kill my soul to be thinking about that all the yeah. time. I wouldn't be able to. That that's not that's not true worship. Worship is spirit and truth. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and it's all it's a tough balance, you know. When I, as you know, I was part of the music there at church for years and years and years, and yeah. I I had a very difficult time worshiping while playing mm-hmm. and a lot of that was because I just had to pay attention to what I was doing I'm not uh, a natural enough musician to be able to just turn my brain off and think about something else and let let motor memory take over so it's very difficult to for it was for me to uh, kind of maintain that worship aspect of it and uh, tone down the the performance or just getting the job done right kind of aspect of it. So I understand, you know, it's 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 a challenge. It's it it feels it's it's way more about the ministry for me than it is about anything that I get out of it. It's uh-huh. uh, I mean, it's it's enjoyable. I love it, but it's also draining uh, yeah. emotionally and even spiritually sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, how did you? find place for worship when you were in that setting? Uh, well, it would be, it would have been, um, mostly through, um, I don't know, it's, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize any, any part of the service. Right. Uh, I grew up in liturgical churches. Okay. So the liturgy has never had kind of that kind of special worship kind of feel to me. Because it's so familiar? Uh, well, I mean, familiar uh, in a bad way. Oh, okay. <laughs> in the churches I grew up in, it was just like by rote. And, uh, you know, stand up, talk, sit down, listen to stand up, talk, sit down, listen. And uh, not much thought was given to it. Um by the people leading the service, uh, I got so that uh, I I began to appreciate elements of the service better. Um, you know, with with the worship aspect of the music being kind of lost. Uh, of course, I I always liked you know listening to the word, you know. Uh, it's you don't always get new nuggets of truth or new insights or anything like that, but just to hear someone speaking about Christ is just always a wonderful thing. Uh, I began to really appreciate the Lord's Prayer hmm. in the liturgy 
because that was the one moment of the week where we actually are all praying together as one voice. Um, of course, at Christ Community Church, we put a lot of emphasis on the Eucharist. Uh, I got to the point where I was trying to imagine myself, whether I was waiting or I'd already been served, I would try to imagine myself with the people at the altar rail at that moment taking Eucharist with them. Uh, so this is, I mean, that's a way longer answer than you were looking for, I'm sure, but that's that's kind of uh, where I found worship within the service, you know, absent the music. Well, it's intensely practical for me, because this is what I'm trying to find out right now. This is what I, you know, I'm trying to find that balance, uh-huh. uh, trying to figure out how to not let uh, the duties of every Sunday morning overtake my personal, uh-huh. you know, experience, interaction, whatever, with God. Right. Well, uh, just I would just say one thing about your approach to the music is that you often kind of trail off onto something that was not planned, or at least is not in the bulletin. And that, that's, it seems to me that during those times it's clear that you are you know, being led by the Spirit into those things, and that is a, is a worshipful moment, mm-hmm. I would assume for you, mm-hmm. but for uh, the congregation as well. I think mm-hmm. it, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. How many? How long were you? Were you one of the uh, music leaders at Christ Community for for a time? Was that? Before uh, no, I was, was always just there to help. You okay? You were there to help. You've done. You've played a lot of different instruments over the years, though. Well, uh, two primarily. Um, my best instrument actually ought to be trumpet, except for I don't ever practice, uh, but that's the only one that I have, like, formal training with. Okay. But I started out uh, playing guitar, and then, uh, and I don't even remember what year that was. Uh, It was early 2000s. Uh, And then your dad took over leading, Mm -hmm. or, yeah, your dad took over leading, and uh, he asked me to do bass, because that's when a really great guitar player that was in the congregation joined us. Uh, so obviously he was going to play guitar, uh, and, and bass is fun. It's, it's cool. Some songs are incredibly boring on bass (laughs) just to play, but that's, you know, that's when I should have been focusing on worship, I guess. I really like bass because it's, uh, it adds a fullness to the music without being distracting. Some of the instruments, when they come in, you notice them right away. Yeah. And it almost takes away from the experience, uh-huh. but bass, it it adds so much, uh, and you don't even realizing it. Yeah. It's it's like the music in a good movie. With a good movie, you don't even notice the music playing. Right. But if it wasn't there, you would definitely notice. Yeah, right. and I think that way about bass. Well, yeah, it is it is more of a kind of an atmosphere than a than a sound. But uh, there, here's an apocryphal story for you. I, I used to work for the newspaper, and we had a um, uh, kind of uh, locally famous columnist named Dolores Ballard. And uh, for one column that she wrote for Thanksgiving, uh, she based it on the uh, disposable roaster, roasting pan that she got for her turkey. Um, the bottom of it uh, was imprinted, support the bottom. So she wrote this column about... <laughs> You know, in this holiday time, we have to be sure we support the bottom. You know, speaking of those in need, 
But that's what the bass does as well. It supports the bottom. <laughs> so right. I find it very, very fundamental. Yeah. It's a very fundamental truth. Yeah, yeah. It's a burden for us bass players, I'm telling you. <laughs> What's it been like for you getting into percussion? Uh, it's been the best. Because um, you, didn't, you didn't grow up playing any instruments no, or anything like instruments that. Instruments were like the last thing ever. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> both of my parents, neither of them... Um, have ever picked an instrument up hardly um so i always just figured that you know i would there would be there would be no instrument playing for me and <clears throat> the first instrument i ever picked up was my senior year of of college i guess it was actually junior year of college and uh, my roommate had a ukulele and he taught me one chord it was <laughs> the c chord okay and for those of you that don't know it's one string on the third fret and I played the crap out of the C chord, man. <laughs> like, you can ask my roommates at the time, but I would, it, it blew my mind that I could make a pretty sound come out of an instrument. Yeah. Um, and I had no clue. I'd have to hand it back to him and have him tune it, and then I'd play the C chord again, and then he'd tune it again. And, and, and that thing didn't, never kept a tune anyway. <laughs> yeah, so no. It's, it's like a $30 ukulele. Um, but, uh, that was that was my introduction to playing music and um and then I got to the point where I knew four chords and I wore those I, I still those are still the only four that I know C G A and F and they're all right up there that's all the, you need yeah and um and uh you know there's a Beatles song that has one chord and it's C so you can actually play a Beatles song well that's great <laughs> <laughs> so isn't the isn't the isn't the um the song, um, put the lime in the coconut. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun. I think that's all C, too. Is it? Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, so playing the ukulele. Do we have to play a, a pay a royalty now for that song? <laughs> oh, goodness. I think that's fair usage. I think you were off-key enough. I yeah. Think <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. Um, well, that's one thing I've noticed. Real quick, I want to hear more of your experience, but real okay. quick, that's something I've noticed. Since you've gotten into instruments, you've actually gotten better at singing. Well, the Williamson family is historical for not being able to <laughs> carry yeah. a tune. You can always count but, on them to throw it off key yeah. in the back right. But you're actually that's actually changed. Yeah. Uh and it's it's weird because the instrument that you play every week on Sunday is percussion. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't involve the notes at all. Yeah. But I've noticed that you sing more on key than you used to. Yeah. Well, I can't do cool. it by myself. It has to be with somebody. I can't hear it in my head yeah. and then match it in my head. It's got to be I can just match what somebody else is singing. Okay. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm that way with harmonies. I mean, I know there are people who can hear harmonies, you know, just automatically, but I, I can't. And I might, I might find one that works, but it's going to be based on like one or two notes. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So playing the ukulele, uh, and then shortly afterwards, after I got good enough with those four chords, I asked Connor if I could join the praise team. And he was like, well, do you know C, G, A, and F? And I was like, I sure do know C, G, A, and F. So, um, yeah, so I started playing that. And I guess I probably, uh, at the time, we had a percussionist. Um, and then when he left and went to school in California, I started, uh, I guess I was the was the one to go. So I um, started playing the, the djembe. We have two djembe at the church. and um, And gradually I've gotten better i i think um well to answer your question the experience has been great uh it has not only 
given me uh, an appreciation for playing music, but it has greatly enhanced my appreciation for listening to music too. And I'm, you and I have had lots of conversations where it's like, where I'm like, you have to listen to this song because check this bass line out. It is awesome. And I start to hear, and I'd like to be able to start hearing more instruments and, and the way those things work too, but particularly with percussion. I, I, every, almost every song that I, I listen to, I'm, I'm trying to pick out how the way that drummist was thinking and their approach to the song and, uh, and then trying to think, okay, how can I bring that into the music to that that I play? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's been it's been sort of uh, altering into how I, I don't listen to music the same way at all uh, anymore. <clears throat> and uh, but you appreciate it more, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I love mm-hmm. it. Um, so, yep. Well, it's been so fun to watch kind of that development from ground zero yeah, it's yeah, especially because it's something i care so much about <laughs> yeah it's yeah. really fun that now we can yeah we can kind of share that space kind of that, together yeah so. um i would say uh I, I i think i've started to try and branch out a little bit uh like i started with the djembe and then there was a snare at church so i played a little bit of the snare and then i did a little bit with the kick drum and i think i just need to stick to djembe i think i don't Anything that I hold in my hands, like like whether it's a tennis racket, a baseball bat, or drumsticks, they all none of them work as well as if I'm just using hands and yeah feet. hands, <laughs> not even feet. Because I tried the bass and I can't keep keep up with the kick drum. But anyways, it's been great, um, and uh, yeah, I love it. So, well, it's sounding great. Thanks, Craig. And um, I will be back on bass at the end of the month. We'll be glad to have you. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's again an announcement that's probably far in the past now. <laughs> now while you're listening to this, you've done some uh, some songwriting for the church over the years. Uh, was that it? Was that intentionally for the church, or was it more personal? And you just hey, I'll share these. Well, uh, sometimes it was actually directly uh, to needs at the church. Um, I don't write uh, melody well, so uh, my melodies are either somewhat borrowed uh, or they just fall out of the air, and they tend to be pretty simple. I, you know, my background is the classic rock sound, so I'm, you know, kind of a top forty kind of sound. Um, but there were times in the past when you know it'd be epiphany, and well, we. I'm having trouble finding epiphany songs, so I mm-hmm. would I would write something. And a couple of times, I've written new uh, lyrics to classic hymns, which really works well. I mean, because if you know anything about hymns, there's they're uh, they're categorized by meter, and if you have uh, lyrics that fit a certain meter, then you can pl- play it to several different kinds of tunes uh, that are the same meter. So. So I, I've done both, I guess. Um, I don't. I haven't written anything in a long time. But again, that's mostly because uh, I'm just not very inventive when it comes to melody. Uh, but I can write a pretty good lyric, I think. Well, that's actually a perfect segue into what I was going to ask about next, because <clears throat> my wife and I, when we listen to a song. Uh, Unless we look the lyrics up, 
we're not listening to the lyrics. Right. Me and, neither. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I'm, the way I'm, and I think you're different. I think. I'm the complete opposite. Yeah. And it, yeah. Well, I was yeah. going to ask you, okay, so what, what is, um, I guess it's a twofold question is like, okay, um, where, where is the line, I guess, yeah, so what would the line be with, with church music in particular? Um, because I'll tell you, Reagan and I have had some really uh, quite worshipful experiences in, um, in, like, in entirely uh, non-Christian songs. And we'll be sitting there and listening, and and then this just—it's just a brilliant, just a little move by the song, and then and then it, it, for us, it gives us it gives us an opportunity to be thankful for that song. So I wonder, like, and I think I, I'm sure that the answer is somewhere in the middle, but I want to get your thoughts on where is the middle because, um, because for us, when we're when we're singing along to the songs that you, that we have in church, we're the words are just kind of rolling off our tongue, and it's just a, for us, it's like. We're, we 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 worship in the way that it sounds and in the in the in that whole spirit of okay that sounds great it's you know it's I don't know exactly what where it goes from there but yeah it's all in the way it sounds for us mm-hmm. so where's the line because you don't want to go too far that way because then you just have a a dude shredding on a guitar <laughs> and then it's like yeah so then you get that way or you, and then you but you also don't want to go the other way where it's it's you know, I don't want to chant for all of our worship songs either. So, well, uh, you're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I I have the same problem with with uh, music that I just uh, am listening to for entertainment. Now, often, I can't even tell what the lyrics are, uh, and melody is the most important thing to me. And then production. So the lyrics, a a a just kind of average lyric or even a good lyric I might just completely be ambivalent to. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bad lyric can ruin a song. And there are lots of bad lyrics out there. <laughs> so that's like, that's like the one effect that the lyric has on me. Okay. Um, I think, though, uh, the hymns are a good example here because hymns seem to be very stolid there's very little syncopation usually it's the same line over and over and over again very you know you have first line slight variation of it in the second line third line then back to the first line mm-hmm. you know the the melodies are very basic so i think that does help and, and simple uh so they're easy to remember each time you go through them okay. so i think that does help people to to focus more on the lyrics okay uh, and I suppose, you know, uh, contemporary worship songs should be similar to that. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are, are on this, but uh, it is. It does seem like we need to be able to focus more on what we're saying and not kind of get lost in just the music part of it. Okay. Well, I have a couple thoughts um, regarding the the experience of the lyrics and the music. Um, when I'm up there leading the music on guitar, it's hard for me to separate myself from the, uh, the making the music process. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to step back and listen to what's happening 
because I'm so involved in the making it. And I'm thinking, okay, this is coming next. Okay. I need to make sure that I can uh, see the words so I don't lose where I am. Right. Um, don't forget the key change. I got to remember the key change. <laughs> yeah, things like that. I need to not lose my pick. That's I run into that all the time. My <laughs> pick just flies out of my hand. I have that more than anything else. Um, but the lyrics feel more external to me. So for whatever reason, it may just be a personality thing. I don't know. Okay. But I find it easier in the moment to worship through the lyrics than through the music. Now, when it's just me and I have my, uh, my iPhone mm-hmm. and I'm just listening to music, it's, it's different. I can, I can worship through the music that way. Okay. Um, but, but when I'm, when I'm actually making the music, I can't, I can't separate right. myself from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it Was does. Was that both thoughts or one thought? Uh, I was several in one, I guess. Um, also this just, uh, this just came to mind while you were talking, Craig. Um, I've noticed in a lot of, uh, contemporary Christian music, this isn't bashing all contemporary Christian music, but it is kind of a negative thing that I've noticed. Um, a lot of times they have the, the lyrics turned up as though that's the most important thing in the music. Like if you listen to the radio, Mm. the words are mixed louder than the than the music is as though they know that that's like mm. you know it's all about the message so that's really important okay but lyrically often the lyrics are so shallow that they are written more like an afterthought okay mm. and any worship experience that you get out of it doesn't come from the lyrics it comes from the music okay. so it's like an identity crisis mm. <laughs> um wow. you know it's like it's like they know that the lyrics are supposed to be really important okay. but but all that they know how to craft really well is on the musical side okay. because they're emphasizing sound production so okay. much. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just something I've noticed. Well, I have two thoughts. One, um, <clears throat> let's see. I think the, yeah. So the one, the first thought that I have in relation to that is, um, it may not be that they are intentionally, uh, keeping the, the lyrics shallow, but instead, allowing people that don't because I don't think deep like ever hardly and oh, come on <laughs> you are now I can tell you're sweating um and uh I mean in, in terms of like if you said and I and I and I can't really I'm trying to think of a good line but if you said something like uh it required more than one step to understand what the meaning of the lyric was you would be you'd have me and, and Reagan lost if you had, if you said, I don't know, like, uh, like even if it was a hard vocabulary word that required, like you've you've already lost us in the, and so sometimes having simple lyrics with simple truths is is beneficial for people that that uh, have trouble listening to the lyrics instead are listen, and so yeah, so I I would say that there is probably a benefit to that as well. So here's an example. This coming Sunday, we're going to do uh, the song, Give Me Jesus. Okay. And we're going to do the song, Ferris Lord Jesus. You're yep. saying that you can connect easier with a song like Give Me Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, and although we can't, like, uh, there are exceptions to the rule. Like Reagan, last, not last Sunday because we were gone, but the Sunday before, I think it was a hymn. It may have been Ferris Lord Jesus, actually. And she she wasn't standing up. She she chose to sat, sit down during that song. And she got a wealth of 
awesomeness from that song, just the lyrics of that song, and they somehow just spoke right directly to what she needed to hear at that time. So, you know, take all this with a grain of salt. The other, the other thing that I would, and I would, I also wanted to point to an experience that I had uh, with <clears throat> Shane and Shane's live version of Psalm 45. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never. I've decided to never listen to the the rec- like the studio version of Psalm 45 because the live version is just so good. And and I only know there's only two things I notice about that song. The first thing and the major and the and the, the major thing that I notice is the drum line. It's brilliant. Like what's brilliant about it? Cuz I, I don't remember off the top of my head. It's uh it, it's simple, but um uh What's the word? It's very it it urges you on to something else. Like you want to know, okay, what's coming next? It's uh, what's what's the best word for that? Like um, expectant, maybe expectant. Yeah, it's it's a very simple three drum, like three drum. You know, it's it's a simple beat, but it's 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 so so powerful. Um, that kind of fits with the theme because Psalm forty five is the wedding psalm. I didn't know that. It's uh, the yeah, it's the yeah, one it's talking about. Very much about like the, Song of Solomon. Yeah, so yeah. that would make sense that they would have gone yeah. that direction. With yeah, it. that was the other thing that I noticed about that song is they they kept repeating the line, um, "Fairest of all" or, or something like that. Um, so yeah, so I mean, having but the what I'm trying to say is, <clears throat> the worship that I had was with my spirit aligning with that drum line. I know that sounds super hippie, but that's sort of the way it went for me. Um, and, uh, so yeah. Well, this is a good, uh, lesson because, um, Christian arts do tend to have a reputation of being simplistic or superficial. Uh, but what's more important is that everybody is being served. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if y'all remember Thomas Kincaid. Uh, he was known as the painter of lights. He, he, uh, was a very successful painter, because he had this style of just painting a you know a house in a forest glen or something, and there would be these specks of light that would kind of jump out from the canvas. Hmm. And he was never considered a great artist, uh, and he was not a great artist. He he was he's not going to end up in museums. Uh, he was not cutting edge. He was not you know the the uh, ultimate artist of his lifetime. But he had this very simple ministry to people uh, who, for whom fine art would be lost. And uh, it, was, it was very fashionable to bash him when he, you know, at the time of his death. And these are just a bunch of elitists who probably have no ministry at all mm-hmm. <laughs> um, bashing this guy who had a very simple ministry that, that was, simply put, aimed at simple people mm-hmm. but these people also need to be served yeah so and that's <laughs> that is a real problem uh, at Christ Community Church for me uh, and it's, maybe it's true in every church but we have we have a variety of levels that people are at and we've just got to make sure that everybody is served every time we gather you know and if somebody goes away empty because I didn't understand what he was talking about or, well, I thought I was going to get something really good, and all I got was this simplistic approach. Uh, we're failing, so we got to make sure there's something there for everybody, and that's a real challenge. 
you can apply that to way more than just music. I mean, oh, yeah. You apply that yeah, to Sunday everything. school teaching, sermons. I mean, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I was thinking particularly of Sunday school. Mm. But, I mean, who who's in charge of the sermon? You know, whoever it is, that person's got to make sure that there's a, there's a nugget in there Hopefully, at every level, you know, so so everybody can can get something out of it. Here's something I don't remember if I showed this to you or if I showed Reagan. I showed somebody recently. Okay. Um, this is when I'm planning the music for the week. I try to have it done by uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Right. So what I'll do is I'll I'll look at the scripture readings, and I'll choose the songs based off that. I'll have a list of songs. Um, so. The, the, the temptation for me would be to just pick the songs that I like, mm-hmm. and picking it based off the scripture reading kind of guards me against that. Hmm. So that's kind of the idea there. Um, I'm literally letting uh, the word inform the music choices. So I have a list, and then from that list, I pick um, at least one simple song, at least one uh, lyrically complex or theologically beautiful, however you put it, okay. one of those. So I try to have at least one of each one. Huh. So we're going to do Give Me Jesus and then Ferris Lord Jesus. Okay. I also try to have at least one uh, old song and one new song. Um, covers every bass. And then also a happy song and a sad song. So the idea, in theory, it's hard. It, it, sometimes it doesn't work out this way, and I'm, I'm very imperfect at it. But in theory, the idea is that everyone has at least one song that they can easily connect with huh. is kind of the idea behind it. Yeah. Um, the idea is not that everyone can connect easily with every song, mm-hmm. but I want people to have the kind of their song yeah. and then also be able to join in other people's songs. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to do a little bit of both. So what mm-hmm. I'll do is I use Evernote and I type it all out and then I'll color code. So I'll have like a color for sad, you know, I'll have it blue, and then I'll have a yellow song for happy, and I have different colors for each thing, and wow. if I have all the colors in the end, then I've got it, Perfect. because there's six songs usually, mm-hmm. and that's uh, wow. a six different categories, so it, it's, it's a work in progress, but I think it's at least a step in the right direction, yeah. so that's kind of, hmm. I don't know, sort of an inside look at how the wow. songs are picked on Sunday mornings. Yeah. So. Well, and as far as writing worship songs, uh, a, uh, I don't want to call it a helpful hint, you know, because it's more foundational than that. But uh, uh, it's it's best as much as possible to stick to scripture, because mm-hmm. not only are you going to avoid error, <laughs> or uh, you know that will help you avoid error, uh, but it can be as simple or as deep as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite songs is uh, bless his holy name, you know, because the opening, the opening refrain is bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Well, that's mm-hmm. Psalm 103. Uh, but it's really a very simple uh, song, and it's a very simple uh, message behind it. Hmm. But it's scripture, so yeah. there you have it. Yeah. Wow. Well. Somebody give me a chainsaw. <laughs> That's what I'm good at. <laughs> yeah, playing the chainsaw. <laughs> there is an art. I mean, if you want to get into that, there's all sorts of things you got to know. I didn't yeah. know this. I, I tried to cut a, this this huge red oak <clears throat> that had fallen down on the farm, and I I put my I put my 
my my big boy pants on and I was gonna go cut this tree. And this tree, we just split it by the way. And every round that I cut out of came came out to be forty pieces of firewood. So every single one of these, and I started out, <clears throat> and this was one of those trees that you have to, uh, you'd have to cut on two different. You'd have to cut as far as you could go on one side and then then walk all the way around the tree and get on the other side and cut from there. Mm-hmm. And wow. uh, man, my first ones are like, you you'd have at the top it's okay like if you so you start at the top and you cut down on this half and you go around the other side and you start cutting on the top and there it meets because you can see it but then but but if you have any sort of x y or z movement in the in the bar of the chain you wind up by the time you get to the end you're like six inches away from where Hmm. you met on the on the first half so for those of you that there's a good life lesson in there one small change leads to a huge change (laughs) 10 years down the road it's like that's like brian dinker and his his trip from the center of the circle to the outer edge, and, yeah. you know, you're like a fraction of a degree off, yeah. and you're gonna you're gonna be way off of yeah. due north. Yeah. Yeah. So I finally got that down, but yeah, awesome. <laughs> I want to ask you about. I know we veered way far away from the the book project, the mysticism thing, but uh-huh. I, I wanted to ask you. It just <laughs> came back for a it just came circle. to my head. Um, What's it been like for you? Going through the books? Yeah, going through the books. Had you had you read them all before? You said you picked them based on familiarity. Yeah, I, I had uh, I'd read most of them. I had never read through uh, Ladder of Divine Ascent. And so when I did read through it, uh, and it turned out to be so practical, I thought maybe it should have been earlier. <laughs> okay. But uh, on second thought, putting it in the middle, uh, it's kind of a good kind of exit off the interstate, <laughs> seeing you kind of uh, check out your road map and turn on the GPS and figure out where you are, and then you can get back on the interstate mm. type of book. Um, and uh, so that was, that was really helpful. Also, the way he had it uh, so precisely organized uh, was really mm-hmm. helpful. Um, and, uh, right now I'm, I'm trying to, uh, read, uh, Interior Castle and that it's, that's my first time to that book. Uh, but the others I've all read, uh, before and, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, you can tell when you read these books that these people have all had this experience and they really struggle to, uh, uh, come up with some way of expressing it. Um, uh, you know, the ladder of divine ascent. You know, I mentioned that day that this is very linear, and it's a ladder. He he is taking rungs each step of the way to this to this, you know, ecstatic space is a rung on a ladder. But then uh, Teresa of Avila comes up with this idea of a, a castle with many rooms, and it's not. Uh, it's it's sort of like the cube. If you've seen that movie, it's not not a. Uh, you know, a house plan that makes sense. Uh, but the rooms are connected and, uh, uh, you know, so that's, that's a more spatial, uh, view of it. Uh, then the next book is the cloud of unknowing, which is, you know, you're in a cloud. (laughs) Okay. Well, you can't get much more spatial than that. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're in a, you're in a mist of water vapor. So, and then, and then you get into the dark night of the soul. So these people really struggled with it, and and 
of how to express it, and, and then I'm trying to explain things. First, I'm trying to understand things and then explain them according to these kind of tortured <laughs> illustrations. Hmm. So it's it's a challenge. It's like they can only explain it by analogy. It's kind yeah. of like when John's writing Revelation, he keeps saying, "It, I saw as as something yeah. or like something. Yeah, they were like... Uh, they were locusts, but they yeah. like they had yeah. of horses and that kind of thing. So the yeah. color was like emerald or something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's it's uh, a challenge, and there's also, you know, some concepts that are very foreign to typical American evangelicalism. Uh, you know, in our Puritan background, mm-hmm. it tends to be very very practical and very rational. Of course, we're uh, you know, uh, completely dominated by the age of reason. So it's, I mean, it's, it's difficult just to get people to embrace mystery and, uh, and also to kind of change the, their paradigm of what they've always, how they've always looked at things to, to look at them slightly differently. So you just alluded to these different, um, authors trying so hard to explain it. What what is the it? Uh, their ecstatic uh, experience with Christ. Ecstatic meaning like, yeah, man, <laughs> like that exactly. kind of ecstatic. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, uh, as I understand it, it's like uh, just a little foretaste of what uh, life will be, okay. eternal life will be in the okay. presence of Almighty God. Hmm. That, that that reminds me of the book uh, that John Eldridge wrote about uh, heaven. What's it called? I don't remember, All but I know what you're talking about. It. All things new. So, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, w- I mean, I wonder if that's. Uh, I mean, he he talks a little bit about this. Is he talked? I wasn't there because I was working at nights at the time. But Connor, when he did that whole heaven Wednesday thing, he talked. I think in in part about he he talked about this book All Things New by mm-hmm. John Eldridge, um, and I I picked it up and I read it and um, he talked about how our jobs and the things that we do with our hands and the things that we do, you know, when we're most ourselves will be the things that we also do in heaven. So he talked about how that that those things might match up here on earth as well as in heaven. So it reminded me of the mystic the mystic writings of, okay, so this is a little foretaste of what experience with Christ in heaven will be like. So I wonder if those mm-hmm. would match up at all. I have, yeah, I haven't read any of the mystic writings. Uh-huh. So. Well, I haven't, I haven't read all things new. So, <laughs> so I guess. Connor I think it's totally to different. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're related at all. I don't think that those two books if they had consciousness, would know that each other existed. <laughs> but I think that they may be speak. They may be trying to get to the same thing at the core. So, how much energy do you think we should spend trying to bring heaven down to earth like that to have those heavenly experiences that we can only have foretastes of now anyway? Oh, it's absolutely worth it. I don't know. It, it, I mean, it's my experience has been based on stillness, so I don't really yeah. even know how much energy that takes. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it it does take a willingness to 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 shut down 
you know, and stop thinking about what you have to do tomorrow and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I could, I could hear someone say something like, I don't know. You don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good or something like yeah. that. Um, which, did you just come up with that? No, oh. I, I was going to be really it's impressed. Pretty, it, yeah, I wish I could say. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I mean Solomon, Solomon said, you know, don't be too holy. Yeah. So there's some wisdom in yeah, that. Yeah. Well, and the reverse is also probably true. You know, don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think we have to worry about the first thing. I mean, we're locked into time and space, and and. Uh, um, uh, Climacus wrote that there were that he had known monks who had gotten into this practice uh, so much so that they would miss a meal and uh, never, never know it. You know, they they did not. Uh, they when they were reminded of it, they said, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know, so, um, but you you can't do that indefinitely. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we're in any danger of, uh, you know, being so divorced from the world uh, that we're of no use to it. Um, uh, now, the monastics, you know, you maybe could say that, you know, if you were cynical about them, but uh, they spend most of their time praying. Um, they've also been known to save uh, Western civilization at times. <laughs> so they're not useless. You know, they're doing... They're doing battle that uh, is far more profound than what the armies of the world do. Mm-hmm. Well, that yeah, yeah. It's been it's been good for me to, <clears throat> and I don't know how much this relates, but uh, everybody has a different role that they play. I mean, if you get locked into the idea that your way is the best way, which is definitely something that I struggle with. Um, then you, then you, then there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's getting neglected. And what's taught me is, is living, you know, with you and like our, our two families living in the same house. It's like, you guys do things a whole lot different. And in times it's like, man, I think my way is better, but it's not. I mean, it's, that's y'all's way and we have our way. And I mean, you can extend that to spirituality as well. So, oh. Well, you know, and and throughout its history, the vast majority of the church has not been monastics. They've just been people, right? You know, many of them living hard scrabble lives, just just living day to day, yeah, and uh, doing what they can uh, to honor Christ. Well, I've I've I'm glad you brought that up about us living together because what was going through my head while you were talking, Craig was was Bonhoeffer. And the book Life Together, uh, we just got through that on yeah. Sunday school. Um, he talks about uh, the danger of uh, what he calls visionary dreaming. Uh, yep. He talks about the danger of imposing our expectations on what uh, community, especially Christian community, should look like. Uh, and then when you mentioned us living together, I mm-hmm. thought about how that's that's come up in my head so many times in, in small ways, not in big ways. Right. But I, I can remember thinking, uh, you know, I hope that, I don't know, now we have more time to do this or that together or, uh, that it will be this, you know, incredible experience that we will, you know, remember for 50 years and Mm -hmm. maybe it will, but for me to put that expectation on it could actually kill it. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah, it definitely hasn't been like uh, life altering because you know my parents they they I think they probably cycled through several different friends that they lived together with, um, but um, and I they always recounted those memories so fondly, and um, and so I kind of had this yeah so I had this similar expectation where it was like okay, this is going to be absolutely the best year of my whole life. But it really hasn't been. I mean, not much has changed. Um, just our shared spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so maybe maybe it takes, you know, some hindsight to realize, okay, this is the impact that it had on me. Yeah, um, maybe so. But, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so. Well, we've seen that as our church has developed over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a time when most of the people in the church lived basically on the same street or the same couple streets. Yeah. There was that really, uh, there, there was, there was a lot of shared space. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of what you and I are experiencing now, yeah. uh, almost not, not everyone in the church, but almost the whole church congregation was experiencing. Right. And now it's not that way anymore. Right. It changed and it's not better. Right. And it's not worse. Right. It's just different. Right. Yeah. It's still community. Mm-hmm.